Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, our focus today is on Medicaid, or more to the point, the health care of Americans whose care is delivered or paid for through the Medicaid system. If you are concerned about health care in America, if you want to understand health care in America better, if you're interested in improving health care in America, and if you want to understand the directions and advances that health care in America is making, then in my opinion, you need to understand something about Medicaid. And to that end, we are very, very fortunate today to have on our program a physician leader who is uh, both an accomplished leader and an expert in this field of Medicaid, Dr. Mandy Cohen. Dr. Cohen was appointed to the role of Secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services in January of 2017 by Governor Roy Cooper. The goal is to improve the health, safety, and well-being of all North Carolinians. The Department of Health and Human Services has uh, 17,000 employees and an annual budget of $20 billion dollars. It serves as the home to North Carolina Medicaid, public health, mental health, state-operated hospitals and facilities, adult and child services, early childhood education, employment services, and health services regulation. Secretary Cohen and her team are also very, very focused on building a strong, efficient Medicaid program, improving early childhood health, safety, and education, and combating the opioid crisis. And we'll hear more about that during the interview. Before coming to North Carolina, Dr. Cohen was the Chief Operating Officer and Chief of Staff at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. She was responsible for implementing policies for Medicare, Medicaid, the Children's Health Insurance Program known as CHIP, and the Federal Health Insurance Marketplace. Of note, just uh, a few weeks ago in February of 2019, Modern Healthcare named Secretary Cohen one of the top 25 women leaders in healthcare. She received her medical degree from the Yale School of Medicine and a master's in public health from the Harvard School of Public Health. She trained in internal medicine at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Mandy, I apologize for that long introduction. It's uh, such a pleasure, and thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak with us today. Really a pleasure to talk with you, and thanks for taking this opportunity to talk about Medicaid and the work that we're doing in the department. Well, it's my sincere pleasure. And I'm I'm actually really excited about this. I don't believe that most people, and I would say even in healthcare, most people really understand Medicaid. And I think very, very few people understand what you and your department are attempting to do at this moment in time and at this moment in history, both in North Carolina and across the country. So I, I want to dive into that in a moment. But before we get to that level of, of the why and the moment in healthcare history, I would love it if you could just give a three-minute uh, tutorial on North Carolina Medicaid, the program itself, in the last couple of years, where we've come from, what you've been attempting to do, the, the issue of the waiver, and what that's allowing you and the department to do. Sure. That's probably more than three minutes, but I'll do my best. Um, so just to back way up in terms of the Medicaid program itself, it is health insurance for folks with low income. Uh, it is different than the program Medicare that many folks know, who are, which is the program for those who are 65 or those who have um, end-stage renal disease, 65 and older, in that the Medicaid program is a shared responsibility between the federal government and the state government, meaning that state dollars get put into the Medicaid program and then matched by federal dollars. So for every $1 we put in at the state, we match about $3 from the federal government. So three to one. And so that partnership makes every state unique because different states have different ways in which they want to use their own resources. Um, And so here in North Carolina, we cover more than 2 million folks. So we're a state of about 10 million and we insure about 2.2 million folks on the Medicaid program. So that's really one in five people here. So it's really a lot. If you were to say, hey, think of a Medicaid beneficiary, the absolute first 
picture that should come to your head as a child. Most of the folks who are on Medicaid are children. Uh, 1.2 and a half million folks on the program. Um, so more than half are children. Mm-hmm. And then the next biggest group are our folks with disabilities who are either born with disabilities or acquire a disability um, and are on the Medicaid program. And then the the last big category of folks are seniors who are in nursing homes, in other long-term care facilities, and are, again, are at lower income. Those are our three big, big buckets. We do have some moms who are on Medicaid. They're often on the the program temporarily around the time of their pregnancy and postpartum. But yeah, it's mostly children. And, you know, the Medicaid program is run by the state here, meaning that we've had a fee-for-service program. So if a doctor orders a lab test for a Medicaid patient, we pay for it. If they get admitted to the hospital, we pay for it. What we're about to do over the next number of years is change to a program that is going to be administered by private insurance. So instead of you um, just having a state North Carolina Medicaid card, you're going to have a Blue Cross card or United card, or a WellCare card, or AmeriHealth. Those are some of our bigger uh, folks who are going to, we, we just announced about a month or so ago, who's going to be participating in that in terms of the companies. And so for the first time in Medicaid here in North Carolina, folks are going to have private insurance, um, and private insurance companies are going to be administering uh, the program on behalf of the state. Now, we at the state set the rules of the road. And that's what we've been spending a lot of time on. And I'm sure we'll spend most of the podcast talking about those guideposts and the rules of the road. But the actual administration of the program is going to be turned over to insurance companies. And there was a lot of debate here in the state. Should we even do that? And I'll say that debate happened before I got here. (laughs) I joined the North Carolina team in 2017. This was a debate in the General Assembly back in 2015. And, you know, lots of, of opinions on both sides. You know, the way I look at it is North Carolina is the largest state in the union that has not moved to managed care. So every big state, California, New York, Texas, has moved to managed care. Frankly, most states have moved their Medicaid program to managed care. That's such an important juncture. Why have the other states, particularly the large states, moved to managed Medicaid care? Is that better care? Is it? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's mixed. Um, And I think that's why there was a debate here. I think some places you've seen managed care go well in terms of what they can deliver for folks in terms of quality of care. And I think most often states move to managed care to bring more predictability to cost. Right now, the way we pay for cost, right? I say you you walk into the emergency room, we pay the emergency room bill. So you can imagine when you have a bad flu season, costs are going to be higher than they were, or you have, you know, a natural disaster, like we had a hurricane, you know, there are going to be costs associated with that or even losses. And so when you move to managed care, you pay a flat fee per month, per person, and you pay it up front. And so no matter how many times they walk through the emergency room or go to the hospital, the state has predictability of knowing what they're going to pay every month. And that is that is very comforting to state legislatures who have to balance the budget, right? And when that unpredictability, when they have to come back into a special session to cover the Medicaid budget, like that doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of folks move to managed care to get that predictability. Now, have they seen cost savings? I would say very, very modest, if at all. Because when you move to managed care, you add infrastructure costs, meaning that we have to pay an insurance company to run the program, right? Instead of the state running it directly, we have to pay an insurance company. And as I mentioned, we're paying more than one insurance company. We have a bunch competing. And so we have to pay each one of those companies to actually administer a program and pay claims and do appeals and do all the things that an insurance company does. So you are adding some costs into the system. But again, in managed care, they do a lot of work with individuals to make sure they're getting the right care at the right time in the right place, which means hopefully not getting care in the emergency room and getting care in urgent care and primary care before those medical issues. And can I ask you about that? Because, you know, it's great that it creates managed care, creates predictability uh, for expenditures from the state's perspective. But I think the, it seems to me the added benefit, and I've seen managed Medicaid programs in other states, it changes the incentive for both the insurance providers as well as the care providers to create, I would say, more appropriate utilization of care. I mean, you use the example of emergency rooms. Mm -hmm. In a fee-for-service model, 
if I'm getting paid by fee for service, whether I'm the intermediate or the provider of care, I don't. I have no incentive to actually prevent an inappropriate. ED utilization or, or anything that's inappropriate. But if you're paying me in a prepaid health program, it seems to me you're incenting the system and the providers to be very prudent about the care. And so what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's largely right. Um, and the, the, the question is finding that right balance mm-hmm. of uh, getting care manage. So like, like I said, when it's working well, it's getting folks care at the right time in the right setting, right? We don't want someone, you know, letting their high blood pressure go and then walking into the emergency room with a stroke, right? We want them managing their high blood pressure in primary care, taking their medicine regularly, but that may mean making sure that they have access to a primary care doctor and then following up to make sure that they filled their prescription and are taking their medicines regularly. And that's what often managed care can offer, that kind of care coordination and care coaching. We do some of that frankly, in our fee-for-service program right now, mm-hmm. but we are only able to do it in a, and touch a small number of patients within our program to do it. The idea is, I think the managed care companies, to your point, have the incentive to do that more broadly um, for a Medicaid population. And that is our hope. We also have a, we embed rules of the road to say, this is what we want and expect from you, insurance company. We want this kind of quality. We want this kind of network access. We want them to be able to get these kinds of services within a certain distance of their home. So we have rules for the managed care companies. The the rub becomes is when do they turn that dial down too much? When they're saying, we don't want to see you in the hospital at all, even when maybe hospital or a specialist is the right kind of care. And that's the kind of the, the role where the state needs to be monitoring the insurance companies to make sure that they don't overdo it in terms of keeping folks from getting the care that they, they need. I, I think it's a really important point you're bringing up. And thank you for being so balanced about the situation. In the past, when we've been in, in the era of uh, in the 80s and 90s in, in terms of managed care, right. the concern on the part of the public and the fear was sort of the gatekeeper model that you're going to try to keep me away from care, right. as you just pointed out. How is it different now? What kind of safeguards, metrics do we have in place that we didn't have in place before to assure people that that won't happen, or at least the chance of that happening is far less? No, and and I think about it all the time, right? As someone who is charged of the health and well-being of the state, I want to make sure folks have access to the care that they need at the time that they need it. But to your point, I also don't want to have them miss opportunities to get preventative care that could keep them healthy over a long period of time. So, you know, we do have a a number of safeguards. You know, first is that we have standards around, like I said, the hospitals and doctors that need to be accessible to our patients. We have rules around literally time and distance standards that someone can be away from where our Medicaid beneficiaries are to make sure that they can get access. And then we follow a ton of quality metrics. And we say, we want to see that you're providing good diabetes care and good care for kids with asthma and other types of metrics. And so we watch pretty closely. That is the work that our team is ramping up now. We haven't started managed care, so we're trying to put all those rules of the road out there. We also have a lot of minimum standards. So we say, if Medicaid is covering certain services right now, you have to cover it in the future. So if we're covering certain number of physical therapy or mental health visits, you have to cover that going forward. We also have a standardized drug formulary. So if it's covered now in our drug formulary, we're going to have that same exact drug formulary going forward, right? So in those ways, we're trying to create some of these minimums. We're using the same standards of medical necessity across all of these plans that we still we use in our program right now. So we're trying to maintain all of those guideposts that we have in our program now. And folks need to understand that the, the Medicaid program right now is not perfect. Mm. Um, I think access to care is not optimized in our own program right now. I think particularly access to specialty care is not as accessible for our beneficiaries as we go forward. Um, so I don't know that managed care is going to cure all of the problems of Medicaid as it exists right now, but certainly my goal is to not erode any access to care, right? And erode any of the ability of folks to see the doctors that they've been seeing for a a long time. So we're spending a lot of our time making sure that we're putting guide posts in place to make sure folks can get that access and continuity of care as we make these changes. You are implementing a number of programs and I've heard you speak about it and I had the opportunity to hear you, I think it was a month ago at a policy meeting here and uh, Duke, and you did a phenomenal job. 
your enthusiasm and your passion for actually improving, uh, and I would say radically improving the healthcare and health of people in North Carolina, and particularly those who are uh, receiving their care through Medicaid, clearly came across to the audience. And so a moment ago, you said that you're not sure if managed care is going to cure all of it. It seems to me you're very, very intent on really elevating the care <laughs> in the state. I have, so, I have, I have expectations of yeah. us improving um, over time. Mm-hmm. I will say at, at onset of right, when we flip over to managed care, I, again, I am very intently looking at making sure that we are maintaining access and folks are getting mm. their, you know, if they're getting a prescription in October, they get it in November. Mm. And so some of the, just the fundamentals blocking mm. and tackling kinds of things, because mm. any big change like this is hard, but mm. yes, I am very excited. And one of the reasons I came here to North Carolina, cause I, I saw an opportunity with the fact that when you make a big change like this and you move to managed care, um, that that change provides you an opportunity to say, okay, let's step back mm-hmm. and say, well, what is the system we want to build here for our folks? And for me, you know, I just, I sat with the enormity of the task I've been given, which is to think about the health and well-being of the state of North Carolina. And, I, and you mentioned it in the intro, right? I have a budget of $20 billion a year. Wow. That's some serious resources. Now, a lot of those are federal resources. As I mentioned, it's a share between the federal government and the state, but still a lot of resources. And a question I sat and asked myself when I first got here is, are we using all of those resources in a coordinated way to truly buy health for the state of North Carolina? And frankly, a hard look at that. I think the answer was no. I think everyone was doing good work in their own silo, in their own way, but we really weren't bringing the pieces together, meaning that when you really think about what drives health and you look at the data around what drives health, health care is only a small part of what drives your overall health. But yet, if you look at my budget, I buy a lot of health care compared to other things, right? But if I'm charged with buying health and I'm only buying health care, I think there's a mismatch. And so this is where we've started to think about, well, how do we really think differently about all the levers we have here at the department? And under this this question of like, how do we buy health for folks, which is where we started to look around for research to say, you know, are there ways that we can invest in people and the things that make them healthy and actually reduce health care costs? The classic example that was being uh, done here and piloted here in North Carolina is for children with severe asthma. In Guilford County, they piloted a program for kids with severe asthma It's not surprising. Kids with severe asthma end up in the emergency room a lot. Where is the most expensive place to get care? The emergency room. It's not coordinated. Uh, You wait a long time. Kids are missing school. Parents are missing work. It's expensive, right? It's like a no win in that situation. So what they did in Guilford County, they went into their homes. They ripped up the carpet as an asthma trigger. They gave them new carpet and gave them an air filter at no cost to the family. And it wasn't surprising is that those kids had less asthma exacerbations, less using of the emergency room, right? And so it way, way eclipsed the cost of that carpet for the family, right? So they were able to reduce costs of the overall system, but more importantly, the kids were better, right? And the kids Mm -hmm. actually were at school and learning. Mom and dad were at work Mm -hmm. and not taking, you know, sickly because, you know, their, their son or daughter had yet another asthma exacerbation, right? And so we wanted to say, look, what are those interventions, whether it's a housing intervention like new carpet or a food intervention or a transportation, right? If someone just isn't able to get to uh, the pharmacy to fill their prescription, right? All the, all the good work that we did to get them to the doctor, mm-hmm. <laughs> to get them the right medicine at the right time in the right setting, and then they can't go fill their prescription, right? Mm-hmm. It feels like we dropped the ball at the one yard line. Mm-hmm. And so how do we start to think about using some of our resources to fill in those gaps. And, and folks have been doing this for a long time in various ways. I think, so I don't think we're creating something new. What I think we're trying to do is be systematic about it and say in all aspects in which we're going to think about how do we really wrap around the person and think holistically about buying health. So that that has really been our focus, and which is why it translates into some tactical things that we're doing. One is is actually screening folks for those kinds of needs, for housing needs and food insecurity and 
for violence at home and for jobs and all that. And then second, we have been investing in an, uh, an IT platform to actually do the connecting of people to resources. And so if someone mm-hmm. walks through my door in, in, a, in a clinic mm-hmm. and says, hey, doc, I've run out of food we can actually navigate them through a platform and actually make a referral. Just like I refer people to a cardiologist, I can refer them to a food bank. Why is that any less valuable in their healthcare? It's not, it's, it's just as valuable. Um, and in fact, I think saving the overall system money. And the last piece of this though, is about really testing the interventions to know what is really going to save us money and drive better health. Um, and so we worked with the federal government over the last number of years to get some, this is when you were talking about our waiver, we got authority to do some of this testing and use some of our dollars to buy transportation or to buy a food intervention or to buy carpet for our asthmatic kids um, at, in the program. So I'm excited about that opportunity because I think it just, flips everything a little bit on its head and say, you know, how do we think about health yeah. first? So is that the waiver uh, that everyone talks about and refers to, was that specifically for that third part to test projects or did the waiver allow other changes like the managed care part as well? Yeah. So waiver had a couple of components. Yes, it allowed us to move forward with managed care, but move forward in a particular way. So one of the other major changes that we made was to say that we have to start thinking about physical health and mental health together, right? And so the waiver allowed for that integration of physical and behavioral health. So that was one big piece. It also allowed for us to think about our care coordination um, in a new way. And then the third piece was this. Isn't that so interesting though? You have to get a waiver from the federal government to combine physical and behavioral health together. Well, it was the way in which we wanted to do it. Um, But yes, isn't that interesting, right? So yeah, that was one part of our, our waiver, but you know, I think it was a lot of good work here. I would say that that was not a question whether the federal government would approve it. They mm-hmm. encouraged, mm-hmm. they were, they were really encouraging our, all programs to move in that direction. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of alignment there. I think the new part of our waiver that really hadn't been approved before by CMS was this work around healthy opportunities is what we're calling it. This work around food and housing and transportation and giving us a real opportunity in a big way to really test out how do we use some of our health care dollars to buy the things that I think drive someone's health. And that, but it's not for everyone. We were very specific mm-hmm. in trying to work with CMS to say like, you know, this isn't, uh, you know, for, for everybody, we have to be really targeted in the kinds of patients that we're going to be working with and the kinds of interventions. And so it was a lot of work to sort of really get down to a lot of specificity. And mm-hmm. so there's a, we have a lot of detail out in the world on this pilot because it's new and folks want to really understand what we're doing. So um, there, we have many, many policy papers that are out and we actually had a request for information. We, we sort of put a big policy paper out and said, how do we do in world? <laughs> do you think we're heading in the right direction? Got lots of really good feedback that we're going through right now in order to move forward with that, with that work. I, I want to dive back into some of the programs you just outlined and, and maybe ask for some examples, but I, I do want to just pause for a second and ask you this question. Yeah. It seems to me, you said a moment ago that we're not doing anything radically new that has, I mean, that hasn't been done elsewhere and, and, yeah. and to a certain extent and perhaps tested and proven. But I think to me, you've really, you've really reframed healthcare. And, and quite honestly, I've not ever heard this before. So I'm curious as to whether you created this concept or you've heard it somewhere else, this idea of buying health versus buying healthcare. That's, yeah. that's a fundamental reframe because we're, yeah. we're used to, and particularly, you know, in, in government, both state and, and federal, and we're used to buying health care, you said, no, no, I actually want to buy health. That that's not a small shift. Yeah. yeah. Where did that come from? Um, I guess that's just honestly, like my simple mind working on, you know, I literally sitting here in North Carolina being like, wow, I have a big job. And how do I match what I, the resources I have with the, with the challenges that are out there, and th- that was sort of my simple way of <laughs> just describing it. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't know if I've heard anyone else frame it that way, but you you see a lot of healthcare institutions starting to put health in their name as opposed to healthcare. Duke health is a good example of this, right? They moved from, I think they were Duke medicine to Duke health, mm-hmm. but I, I, you know, and I think words are important, but then I think 
the follow through and the action is really key. And for me, this was about, like I said, it's not new, but what I'm doing is really being systematic and comprehensive mm. to, to live buying health. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Not just saying it. And so, right. And that means changing lots of things, not just Medicaid. Mm -hmm. Um, It means changing the way my WIC team in public health is thinking about where, how they connect into all of this work. Mm -hmm. Right. It's how my SNAP team who sits in another part of my department, how, right. How does my mental health and physical health teams really come together as one team? So this wasn't just about Medicaid and what can we manipulate within Medicaid, though it's our biggest lever. So you'll see the biggest actions in the Medicaid space, but it is, it is something we think about comprehensively across the department. It is also why it was so critical for us to also put such an emphasis on early childhood. Um, we just released an early childhood action plan and a big summit. And, you know, it's in this frame of buying health, right? Mm-hmm you look at the brain science and the hormone makeup of your body that happens to you zero to five, atherosclerosis is happening to you when you're three, Mm. right? When kids experience trauma, it actually, you know, hardens their arteries for their life. Mm. And so as a primary care doc, like that was Mm -hmm. mind blowing to me when I think about how much heart disease I treat as a, you know, a primary care doctor or diabetes. And I'm like, God, I've missed, I'm I'm treating them at 30, at 40, at 50. Yeah. And how do you really get upstream and think about really buying health for them? I really think it it starts so early, which is, you know, again, this is why I'm saying it's not just about Medicaid. It is really about this comprehensive look across all of the levers we have at the department um, and saying, are we really driving towards health? And that, that's a long ball game. <laughs> that's not an overnight an overnight change. Well, it's, it's again, I think it, as you're talking about it, and as I hear it, it, it seems like it reframes and redefines and redirects everything that you're doing and your, your colleagues are doing here. It's got to change not only the way you think about it, but like you say, all the strategies and tactics that unfold, because, you know, even as you said before, that example of the child with asthma, when you think about buying health and it's all of a sudden it's like, well, buying a new carpet and, and getting new filters and an air conditioner, or just getting an air conditioner in or removing allergens, that that's actually, it may not seem like traditional healthcare, but you're saying, well, I'm not buying healthcare. I'm actually buying health. And if I have to buy a new carpet to buy health, that's what I do. Exactly. If, to ha- if I have to buy transportation to buy health, that's what I do. If I have to create better education and early childhood care, that's what I do because it buys health. It's a very, very different way of looking at things. Yeah. Have you have you it's written hard. this up at all? Have I written it up? I've been talking about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, I'm starting to write about it, but yeah, the, the, but that is it. That's the frame shift. But and and like I said, I don't think I'm the first one to say oh, I want folks to be healthy. But I think it's translating that framework systematically into the tactics mm-hmm. and carrying it through. Mm-hmm. Um, that you'll see in our department's strategic plan. That is core in, embedded into every element of our strategic plan is this notion of like driving towards health and buying health. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it also helps our team know, well, what are we aiming for? Like, what are we shooting for here? Um, and every day they sort of know, and it helps guide them in the decisions that they make every day. And I hope it's also gratifying for the, the for the team that it's allowing them to have new collaborations and partnerships that they hadn't before. Mm-hmm which can be harder, right? Sometimes more cooks in the kitchen can make things a little bit slower and harder, but I think the result you get in the end is great. I think it also speaks to sort of a consumer-centric way of doing business, right? Mm-hmm. If, if we want to buy health, we're really putting the person, the family at the center and saying like, how do we support them and help them be well? And that's as much what we do in our vocational rehab and employment services, and maybe that's job training. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the best thing that we can do for it. So I don't mean it to be that all we can do is is give someone a food. I think it's a, a range of things that we want to do in terms of helping folks to help themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think this is uh, exciting. But it's all, like you said, in service of buying health. We know that folks who have jobs <laughs> mm-hmm. that that are able to have job-based insurance Mm -hmm. are healthier. Mm -hmm. Um, I want that for for everyone here in North Carolina. Do you have, I've got so many questions in so many different directions. I'd love to dive in with you. Uh, Again, I I do think this is actually exciting. I I think it's a departure from 
the past in many ways, and I think it's a good departure. Let me ask you this: Do you, you know, in terms of the the programs you were talking about, the, that the waiver allowed and and the direction you're going in? Do you have another example of buying health, whether it's even your concept of the concept of, I've heard you articulate about the whole person health? Is that what you call it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that an is that another manifestation of of this buying health? Yeah. So whole person for me. I, you know, I, I don't want to look, I'm, I'm trained as a physician. I don't want to forget the healthcare part. I still think that is incredibly, incredibly valuable. And we are very lucky in North Carolina to have incredible healthcare institutions and incredible doctors and other clinicians. And so for me, whole person is really just that. I don't, I don't want to think about the non-healthcare aspects and forget the healthcare, right? Because people get sick mm-hmm. and they get into accidents. They have unfortunate, you know, bouts of, of cancer and things happen. Mm-hmm. And so we need to make sure that the healthcare system is there for them. Mm-hmm. But it also means not just physical health and it means mental health, right? Um, and a lot of what we're seeing in the opioid crisis mm-hmm. is us not addressing some of the mental health needs that are out there in our community and they're great. And, and instead people are self-medicating um, and treating pain mental pain, emotional pain, physical pain. Mm-hmm. And so our concept of, of buying health and that whole person focus is really about putting the pieces together for someone to be ultimately healthy. Some of that is physical health, some of that is mental health, and some of that are these non-medical drivers of health, the food and the transportation. You have to think about all of them together. It's sort of the the overarching focus for us. And that for me, that means when I think about the money, someone has to be in charge. Someone has to quarterback this, right? Mm -hmm. And that meant this is where the blending of physical and behavioral health into one plan was very important to me. I thought it was very key. As we looked around the country and saw what others had, had accomplished when they were able to put those pieces together, is that you have one quarterback now who's gonna say like, okay, I'm responsible for your health overall. And again, to the buying health, I want someone waking up every day thinking about the health of that person, not the physical health of that person, right? And, and it is it, it is an important distinction. And so you get less finger pointing. Well, that's that's a I think that's a mental health problem. No, 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 I think that's a physical health problem. And then no one's taking responsibility and owning that accountability to help that person be well, which is what I'm I'm paying for from the state. Our tax dollars should be going to that. And so I'm trying, we were trying to eliminate any of the confusion of, is this a physical health? Is this a mental health? Who's paying? What's going on? Court, you know, extra burden. So link those together, but then layer on these unmet social needs piece, because I think by ignoring them, we are actually contributing to the high cost of healthcare that we are seeing part of my job is to be very good steward of resources. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a win-win, right? You get better, better outcomes and affordability. Actually, how is that link with the mental and emotional health? Is that, is that in the way you're paying? Is that the way you're holding accountability? How did you stitch that together? How will it be different in the future than it yeah. has been in the past? So today in the Medicaid program, the state pays the bills for physical health. So if you break your leg, we pay for your cast. But if you have depression, um, we have a different entity that pays the bills for mental health. And, uh, you know, and it grew out of a history here in North Carolina that was very unique in the way health, the mental health was delivered. And so we have local management entities or LME, MCOs. And so they're, they're a form of managed care um, somewhat and they were the ones paying the bills. And so I think that there are things about that system that are working. So we wanted to build on what was working and take some of the lessons learned we saw around the country. And so this is where we've moved, as we move forward, we wanted folks, no matter who they are in the Medicaid program, to have one insurance card. Right now, they basically have two. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about your own wallet right now, you have one insurance card for your health care. And we wanted that same thing for our Medicaid beneficiaries. So as we move forward to managed care, no matter who you are, you'll get one insurance card. The difference will be is some folks in our Medicaid population have pretty severe mental health issues, um, whether that's intellectual developmental disabilities or severe mental illness, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, right, that need their behavioral health to be the primary dominant thing that is driving sort of all of the other work around them. And so we need different benefit packages. So moms and kids can have sort of a more generic, if you will, or standard, which is what we're calling it, standard benefit package. 
where those with more specialized needs need what we're calling a tailored plan and has a, an expanded array of services that folks can get access to. And that is by design. And that, But that's not for everyone. Not everyone needs those expanded service areas. It's great. Moms might get postpartum depression. Right. She doesn't have to flip into a different insurance product. That, that standard plan is still going to be responsible for treating her postpartum depression. But the bottom line for our Medicaid beneficiaries is one insurance card, which I'm pretty excited about. And that means one quarterback that's responsible for paying and authorizing those healthcare services. That's great. In thinking about this, did you build this model, the buying health, the Medicaid managed care, the real shift into paying for what you know, the so-called social determinants of health, like education, jobs, transportation, food, those sorts of things. Were there models out there? Do you have a model in your head? Do you have your sort of favorite approach that you've seen? Where, where have you learned from? Yeah. I, my team used to would joke the first year I was here, my, my, question I'd ask most often is, well, what do other states do? <laughs> who's the best at this? Mm -hmm. I'm pretty, I'm competitive and I want the best here for North Carolina. I'm like, who's the best at doing the integration of physical and behavioral health? And what did they do? And how did they do it? And let's learn from them. Our team went and visited Arizona. Our team went and visited Tennessee. They've done some, some unique uh, things in their program. You know, we looked at what New York did. We looked at what Oregon did, all different versions of, of things. I mean, looked at frankly, the entire country to try to bring the best of what was around the country. Like I said, we're the last ones to move to managed care. So it almost puts us in this great place to, to learn from everyone else's mistakes. Mm -hmm. And you know, we'll, we'll make our own, <laughs> we'll make our own mistakes. I'm not, there's no perfection here because this is hard. Um, in healthcare, you make any changes, they're hard. And so I am not promising perfection by any means, but I think we were trying our best to, to look around the country and look at evidence to say, so the physical and health mental health integration, we looked at the Arizona model and they've been really held up as sort of what a lot of other states are trying to to achieve and they're just a little further down the road. So that, that's one good model. On the buying health side, we saw a lot of really good, very small pilots, 150 people, 100 people, 300 people. Um, and so there's evidence that with even those small numbers that certain interventions were working, but we didn't see any large scale places where like these interventions were really at like thousands of patients kinds of levels. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the, that is this new frontier is like, how do you take some of those interventions in the social determinant space that have been done in a small scale mm -hmm. and really try to do that at scale at a huge region over an entire city mm -hmm. and a rural area, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that is, that is more where we're, I think we are definitely cutting new ground there. Well, so it's interesting you say yeah. cities because there are pilots out there, for instance, the Scranton, the Scranton Geisinger pilot, and, and there's, I think, one in Kentucky where, where health systems have taken towns or cities and done similar. But you're taking a whole state. Well, yeah. Yeah. So for certain elements of it, the pilots that we will do are going to be in two regions of the state. So huh. it's going to be, I mean, we're still going to touch 50,000 lives. So it's still a very significant pilot. So it won't be the whole state, but there are elements of that work that will be for the whole. For example, we're doing mandatory screening of everybody. So all 1.6 million beneficiaries moving to managed care next year are going to get screened for food insecurity. Like that's a big it's a what, big deal. what tool are you using to screen? Is it we we did a collaborative process to to I don't want to say create our own, but basically leverage all of the ones that have been validated out there, and we we said we want to get to something, you know, really lightweight. So it's a you know eight or nine questions. We wanted everyone to feel comfortable with the word. So we did probably a six-month-long public process. We had an advisory committee. Are these the right thing? We've tested that screening tool in a number of different settings, both on paper and verbally and all that. So um, we feel like we did a pretty good, you know, before you move to something, you know, you must, uh, which is, you know, always, you know, you want to be sure that you did a collaborative process so folks feel good about the tool. And what questions are on the screening yeah. So it's questions like, do you run out of food at the end of the month? Do you feel safe at home? Were you, you know, are you concerned about transportation? And, and so I don't remember the exact wording of the transportation. Mm -hmm. So it's about eight questions. Mm -hmm. It doesn't dive into 
the deeper details that you will need if you're going to inter actually intervene, but it screens, it's right? A screening. It's a screening. Yeah. There were a bunch of validated tool. It is, it is much shorter than the tool that is used by most community health centers. They use the prepare, prepare tool, tool, which yeah. is, which is a good, a good tool. And frankly, a lot of our questions are part of the prepare tool. Mm -hmm. The prepare tool is just longer. Longer. Yeah. yeah. So this, this is not a pilot for a limited number of people. This is for mm -hmm. all Medicaid mm -hmm. beneficiaries. So how is that going to be done? Is that electronically or is that uh, person to person? So as part of our move to managed care, the, the managed care companies have to do an initial care needs assessment for all the patients. Usually it's what medicines have you take, what doctors you see, so they can get to know the patient and again, to manage their right. care. Right. We wanted to add one more element to that care needs screening, which is asking about food and housing and transportation. So this is in addition to those questions. It's not instead of those questions. No, it'll be in addition to, we, we clearly need to know their medicines and the other right. things. And each managed care plan probably has a different flavor of a care need screening. We gave some very, we, we gave guidance on what, what those should look like and that everyone should get a care need screening. And so we hope as part of that care need screening, they'll do this additional social determinants or healthy opportunity screening and again, it's a, in a way for us to collect some data to really know what what's going on with our population. We have some sense, but we want to. So, is get it up to the, these uh, prepaid health plans to figure out how they're going to do it, whether they do it in person or by phone or? Yeah, generally these are done by phone. By phone. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess there are certain circumstances when they when they do them in person, but I assume most will be done and, remotely. And you mentioned a moment ago, it's a great opportunity to collect data. Are they going to, as, as part of the rules, will they have to transmit that data to you? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Because we, we want to learn about our, our population too, and help. it helps us make investments and resource decisions. I think we have a sense, but we really, yes, we are asked for that, that data as well. Once a prepaid health plan, managed care plan has identified a person with a need, uh, a social need or health need, how are you? you assured that they're going to take some action and is yeah. is that in place whether it be i uh, can't afford my medications or i know i can't afford you know healthy food or uh, no i can't get to the doctor's office uh, for transportation sure. or i don't uh, and, and also I, I didn't ask about this but social isolation i don't know if social isolation mm -hmm. is one of the questions mm -hmm. but if if so when, as you identify mm -hmm. those how do we know that something's gonna actually happen sure sure so I, I don't think our expectation is that every that our insurance companies are going to be able to meet every need of every patient in that way. That is not the expectation. But our expectation is for them to start to use this IT platform that we are creating that is going to better help connect that caseworker that works in the insurance company to community-based resources. So if you're doing your care need screening and you someone says, oh, I'm running out of food at the end of the month. They can go right into that platform and say, you know what, I'm making a referral to a food bank right near your home. Mm -hmm. And then that food bank gets the message, knows to get in con either knows that Mrs. Jones should be heading my way. And if she doesn't come in a certain period of time, they can feed back to the caseworker. Hey, just so you know, she didn't actually come. And again, I think that is important medical information, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? If, if they had an identified food need that wasn't met, like as a primary care doctor, I'd want to know that. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that either do we have to try again? Like what happened? Let's explore that. Did you just not like that food bank? Was it not convenient? Did you not have transportation? So, and, and again, I'm not expecting every insurance company to to do every single piece of it, but to start to use this platform to be like, here are some community resources more than, you know, more than just like, oh, call 211, which is a great database, but like, you know, actually right. doing that referral. Right. So those are the, the pieces. And then when we launch the pilots, we'll actually be able to pay for these kinds of interventions. So not just send someone to the food bank, we may, depending if they fit into the pilot, we may be able to pay for food delivery for a person um, if their medical needs and their social needs sort of match up. So that, that is when the managed care companies will be required to participate in that pilot, use their care coordinators to do that referral to the 
food delivery mm -hmm. service or what have you. So mm -hmm. um, that will be different in the pilot situations. I think at baseline, we're asking everyone, ask the question and use this platform to navigate folks to community resources. And if you're in the pilot, then we're, you're going to have access to additional dollars to pay for some of these interventions that you might not have So, so to. one comment and, and, yeah. and then a question, a follow-up question. The platform you're talking about, I think, is the NC Care 360 That's platform. Right. Yes. And this is no small thing. I'm so it, excited about this. Yeah, this it, is like one of the things that excites okay. me the most, I think, and has a real important lasting impact. Sorry. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I'm excited about it, too. For years, uh, for those of us who, who've seen this firsthand, when a social need is identified, and we haven't in the past been using standardized screening tools as much. And, and so, but once it was identified in the past, typically a case manager or caseworker or, or social worker would open up a, a notebook and there'd be loose pieces of paper. Yeah, or they Google. Or yeah. Google. Or they, <laughs> yeah. Well, now they Google, but in the past yeah, it'd be just right, looking at right. numbers totally. and they, they'd scratch down a number on a yeah. piece of paper, yeah, rip it off. It, I've done it myself. Uh, me I, too, right? I literally like, Google and print something out and you're like, I hope this works for you. <laughs> here, here, here's the piece of paper and go and, go, and good this, luck. Yeah. You've, yeah. you've now got a digital platform yeah. where it allows the, the person, the case manager, social worker, care manager to actually look for it. it it's a database of local services. Yeah. Well, let me, let me let you describe it because I think it's, no, it's amazing. You're, I love it. Um, yes, database in, in and of itself is helpful, right? So you move from scraps of paper to at least a database that is open and accessible and updated and, right. and we know whether they're what days are they open? What who are they taking new new right. clients? All of that. But then the most important is this closed loop, loop referral, mm -hmm. similar to how a doctor would, like I said, refer you to a cardiologist. They can refer you to one of the community-based organizations, whether it's a domestic violence shelter or a food bank or what have you. There's tons of fantastic community organizations. And what's great about this platform is you know whether or not they got the resource or not, which is the key, right? Mm -hmm. Before you just kind Amazing. of are like, good luck. Right. I hope this works out and I'll see you right. at your next appointment and maybe right. we'll talk about it. Right. But now you have something that can really give you that information in real time. The food bank also, you know, I think it's great for the community-based organizations that they un are going to understand their their clients in a, in a different way, right? Because mm -hmm. they're going to be getting referrals. Now- I think it'll also help them show the demand, frankly, that is out there for their services. Right. Well, you have all this yeah. data. You, you can see exactly. where they're going. Are they using exactly. food services, housing services? Exactly. It's about heating, transportation. Yeah. All these social services, you now can collect that yeah. data and actually analyze it and see yeah. where the need is and yeah. where they're going and who's working out well. Yeah. Now, when you... And we are live already in a few communities. Wow. So we're in three counties already, Alamance, Rockingham, and Guilford. Okay. Cone Health is the an first anchor in healthcare institution. And I just want to give a shout out to Cone and the team there. They've been awesome, wow. really thinking about how to integrate this into their workflow. Right. And um, so I'm, I'm excited to learn, learn about it. I mean, yeah. this is all a little bit of a... Uh, you know, work in progress here, you know, so how are folks really going to integrate this into their workflow? What's going to happen with the community-based organizations um, in terms of their flow and their clientele? We launched the platform with hundreds of community-based organizations. So it's, it's great. They're doing really good, good work out there. Now in, in the pilots that you're doing in the, in the regions that you're piloting uh, these interventions is the idea that once you test it out, then you'll, you'll spread it. Is mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. No, great. So the, we haven't selected the regions yet. So look out for that. We hope we've heard that various parts of the state are getting excited and organizing, which is great. Hope by later this year to put out a request for, for pilot sites. The hope is to launch closer to 2021, but we definitely want to learn lessons so that we can scale. Right. If this this is if this is an intervention that can save money and improve health, that is a bipartisan appeal. This is and, and I'll say I, I from just stepping back in the politic, really gotten super support um, across the aisle um, on this because everyone wants to find mm -hmm. things that are going to help us keep healthcare costs in check mm -hmm. and are going to actually deliver on health. Right. It's it's mm -hmm. you know I think healthcare has gotten very partisan in some ways. But the focus on health, that is not a partisan issue. Folks really want to figure that out and figure it out in a way that doesn't bust the budget. And that's what I want. Um, and so I've been excited about the support folks 
have for that um, and are, are giving us the opportunity to really learn. Um, because we do need to do some extra things in the pilot setting in terms of collecting data to generate the evidence we would need to scale things. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did I miss something? Is there something else going on that you're really excited about or that you're looking forward to uh, in terms of uh, buying health, whole person health, changing this game? So, I mean, the, the two other, the reason why I also think, why I think this moment is different is a bit more on the incentives piece that you mentioned earlier in the talk related to managed care. And we're trying to, again, create incentives so that as opposed to need generating money for your business by just doing more, we want, we want to pay you to keep people healthy, mm -hmm. which is a different thing, mm -hmm. right? Now we pay, we pay for doing more. And you make more money when you do more. And I want to transition to a place where we're paying for the right things at the right time to keep folks healthy. And I think we're moving there and it's, it's, a, it's a process. And so often that's the people talk about it in value-based purchasing or value-based contracting, but it's where everyone gets more aligned with saying, okay, actually I am going to pay attention to whether or not you go to the emergency room or not, mm -hmm. where before maybe I didn't. Not that I don't care, but it wasn't part of my everyday work. And so part of what we're doing in Medicaid is also moving the system to have more payments to doctors and hospitals be value-based. And when I say value-based, I mean that they are going to be linked to outcomes and that folks are going to be paid as instead of piece by piece, fee for service, thinking about paying partial capitation, bundle payments, things like mm -hmm. that, where you think more about the episodes of care as opposed to piece by piece by piece, because you really can't think about accountability or, or outcomes if you're doing pieces. Mm -hmm. In order to really move to outcomes, you really have to think about different ways of contracting. So we're building that in, and I, I think it all aligns, right? I want to buy health going back. I mean, it's so simple. I want to buy health, so I need contracts that say that. <laughs> I need contracts that say, hey, hospital, are you going to deliver health for me? Right. I, and then this is what I expect. Right. Here's how much I'm going to pay you yeah. to do that. Yeah. And we both agree. And, yeah. you know, but the, and this is what I expect in terms of outcomes. I think we have a lot of work to do to mature that right. space uh, right. here. But that's the the exciting other piece of this I just wanted to bring up. No, I, I'm glad you did. It's It goes back to, again, the reframe here, which is this idea of buying health, because in, to your point, you're actually now changing the outcomes, the results you're looking for. So it's not just a procedure or it's not a, a, a visit or, or, or something like that it's, it, or a treatment. It's actually an outcome. You're right. looking for a different outcome in terms of right. a health outcome yeah. as opposed to a health care outcome, right. which I think is, yeah. is wonderful. I do have so many more questions, but I, I want to be respectful of your time. And I know you've got another appointment coming up here. So I want to thank you, Mandy, thank for you. really being a part of creating a new healthcare, bringing us really tremendously fresh perspectives. I would say really bold solutions. And I do, and I always do this, Mandy, I, I take a moment to thank uh, all the folks out there who are doing the hard work each and yes. every day of taking care of patients and supporting those who are taking care of patients. I actually think you've just enlarged that scope of people to go even outside of the healthcare system. We truly appreciate you all for what you do, recognize how critically important the work is uh, to individuals, families, communities, and our society. And as always, I hope this podcast provides you with some useful information, some motivation, some inspiration, and encouragement. Uh, so this is Zeb New Earth on creating a new healthcare. Until next time, be well.